Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. Let's read loud and read together. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, once again we stand before you. We come to you, Lord, desiring that you would fill us afresh and anew the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, anoint us and bless us this day that we may understand and know you more dearly in our hearts, may we understand more clearly your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. In our introduction to the book of Acts last week, I touched very briefly on the issue of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, which in verse 3, Luke noted that this was what Jesus spoke to his disciples about during the 40-day period following his resurrection. In one sense, the Lord referred to an age that was to come, a literal kingdom foretold by the prophets which would be set up at a future date and where Christ would reign as King of Kings. That promised kingdom age was not canceled, but it was postponed. In another sense, the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, of which Jesus spoke, referred to the reign of God over the hearts and the lives of those who have trusted in Christ. I think of the verse of Scripture that we read last time from Matthew 6.33 from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Certainly, He was dealing with God's rule and reign over the hearts of those whom He has chosen, those whom He has called and and, and, and those who would understand that we are to first seek that kingdom and, and His righteousness. And if we're concerned about the things in this life, all those things will be added to us because we seek Him first. 
And then the Apostle John, in writing his first letter to the church in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, would write these words. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And I want to emphasize that, that statement. Now, right now, we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope, and the implication is who has this hope now in Him, purifies himself just as he is pure. And so John is in in essence referring to that kingdom of God, that reign of God in our lives right now. And then, of course, we want to add to our thought about this, what it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, when the Apostle Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles then and the disciples had to move from a strong political view of the kingdom, as we talked a little bit about last time. They had to move to that realization that there had to first be a spiritual change in their hearts and in the hearts of the people. And it brings again to mind something from Scripture, something in the life of Jesus uh, in His earthly ministry, when early on in His ministry a man named Nicodemus a Pharisee would come to Jesus by night and and would uh, approach him to ask him questions, uh, primarily uh, introduced by his his pointing out that he truly believed that that Jesus showed signs, as it were, of of his uh, uh, being Messiah. But asking questions about this, this is the response that Jesus gave him. He, He said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, unless one is born again. And of course, you know, he, he goes to the question, you know, Nicodemus asks Jesus a question, well, well, does that mean that I have to go back into my mother's womb? And, uh, and, and of course, Jesus says, you know, there's, there's one uh, uh, experience of being born, of course, uh, in the flesh, but there is another experience, and that is being born spiritually, being Uh, born again as it were and this is why Jesus says unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God so this this is a is a a mindset and a heart change that that Jesus has been referring to when he deals with the aspect of the kingdom of God but but Jesus didn't rebuke his disciples when they kept asking about the future kingdom but God wasn't revealing his timetable to them or 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 even to us uh, when you think about it He wasn't saying that there wasn't going to be a coming. He wasn't saying that there wasn't going to be a kingdom. But but this is what we have to understand here. And I think Warren Wiersbe said it best when he said the important thing is not to be curious about the future, but to be busy in the present. Sharing the message of God's spiritual kingdom. And and I think that this is something that we as Christians, especially we who who are are, are very interested in end time things and and in prophecy and in prophetic issues, that we should always remember that uh, we can can certainly uh, apply ourselves to the things that the the Word of God is saying about the, the days in which we live and the days that are to come. But we need to be busy now. We need to realize now that God has given us 
a calling. He's given us a commission. And certainly the disciples had received that great commission to go into all the world. And I, and I mentioned last time as well that Jesus was wise in not telling them that he was coming back 2,000 years later. Or, or, or near 2,000 years later. And, and you know, uh, when they were asking him, well, is your, when is your kingdom coming? And, you know, Jesus didn't say, well, I'll, I'll be back in 2,000 years. I mean, that, that would have really, you know, probably deflated a lot of their, you know, balloons. But uh, the, the thought is that he didn't have to tell us. He just said, I'm coming back. That's all we need to know. He's coming back. And so what we do now is important for the kingdom of God. What we will find out that now and, uh, is that uh, one of the main emphasis of the book of Acts is the kingdom of God. So uh, we begin our study of the book of Acts with, with that particular thought as Jesus presents it to his uh, disciples in that, in, in that uh, time that he spent with them before he ascended into heaven. And so we build upon what we learned last time now. And I want to expand a bit on, on three very important points of interest. The first is the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father reiterated. Secondly, we're going to look at a little bit more closely the, the power of the Holy Spirit revealed. And then thirdly, uh, the prophecy of the Son's return. And that should be the prophecy of the Son's return. The power of the Holy Spirit revealed, and then the prophecy of the Son's return. don't want to confuse you. <laughs> Uh, these these things we read a little bit about last week, but we did it, we did so in a very general way. I want to become a little bit more specific today. So the promise of the Father reiterated. The promise of the Father reiterated is what we're going to look at first. Look at verses 4 and 5, if you will, in your text. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He gathers his disciples together and he gives them a command not to leave Jerusalem, but he tells them to wait. Now one of the hardest things for any person to do is to wait. I didn't hear any amens, but I, 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 I know this uh, from personal experience that we're not uh, a, a, a very patient uh, people. Uh, we, uh, see, see, there you go. <laughs> we're not patient at all. We're very impatient when we think about it. Uh, you know, we just entered into a new year, and I'm sure a few weeks ago we were probably making some resolutions that in this new year we're going to be a little bit more patient with people and and we're, we're looking at and wanting to you know develop a little bit more of, 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 a, of, of a patient attitude and a patient heart and so and so we made that resolution and and uh, you know the first thing we do is we get out into our car and we start driving and get on the freeway and people start cutting us off and oh you know and then or the person in front of us is going you know 30 miles an hour in a 55 mile zone you know and you're just oh lord and, you know, and you're ready to run them over. And, and uh, uh, you know, in love, of course, but you're just ready to, to really hurt them. Uh, you know, we've, we've grown up in a, in a society, in a culture that expects the instant and the immediate, uh, haven't we? I mean, uh, instant mashed potatoes. 
Need I say more? Just add water. Uh, you know, and, and actually today, instant mashed potatoes are a lot better than they were a few years ago. They've really become improved. Because I remember a time when instant mashed potatoes was a big thing years ago. And, you know, they put just add water and it tasted like the paste that we liked to eat when we were kids in school. You know, that white stuff, you know. And, and, uh, but, but now they really taste like potatoes. I don't know how they do it. But it's instant. We, we just don't have time to boil those potatoes and, and to take them out of the, you know, the pot and then to, you know, to mash them with that masher, you know, and, and then put the butter. And the, am I making anyone hungry? I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if maybe I should go and make some real mashed potatoes today. But, you know, we've got this instant mash. Add water. Just do this, you know. Now, up to the minute news. We get up to the minute news today. A few years ago, we, you know, we had to wait a little bit for the evening news. Or we, sometimes we had to wait for the next day when they used to throw the, you know, the, the paper in the morning. You know, and we couldn't, oh my goodness, did you know what happened last night? You know? No, today we know exactly what happens as soon as something happens on the other side of the world. We, you know, we've, got, we've got these satellites and all. And we get up to the minute you know, news. And we need instant and immediate results about the, the investments that we make in life today, right? I mean, you know, we, we get on the computer now and we can go to any kind of investment firm and, and we put our, you know, money in there. We want an instant return right away. You know, that's just the way we are. We're just caught up in this instant thing. I sure spent a lot of time on that. I'm just trying to teach you patience. I think that's all it is. But the disciples themselves, they had... They, they, they had been told by Jesus, you need to wait. You see, the, the disciples had experienced this excitement, uh, an enthusiasm in, in Jesus' visits after the resurrection. As soon as they, you know, stopped being freaked out by the fact that every time they saw him, they were going, oh, you know. Uh, but, but they would have this enthusiasm, this, exper- you know, this, this excitement, as it were, uh, when, when Jesus was with them after the resurrection. And even the commission that, the, that the, the risen Lord gave them must have seemed easy to accomplish. I mean, as long as the one who had conquered death was with them, there wasn't anything they couldn't do. As long as the, the risen Lord was with them, uh, I mean, there wasn't a crowd that wouldn't be able to be convinced. As long as the risen Lord was with them, there wasn't a confrontation where they couldn't succeed. The dilemma was that Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm going away. But He promised them something. He promised them to send His Holy Spirit. He gave them the promise of the Father, you see. They would soon learn that Jesus was to leave them for a time and they would have to consider that any enthusiasm then would mostly be born of flesh. Because in the flesh, their task would be impossible. In the flesh, the Great Commission would, would demand more than willingness if the gospel was to reach the whole world. Especially a world filled with the stubborn unbelief of men ready to oppose them and even persecute them. Which Jesus, by the way, had warned them would happen. They needed more than the shelter of the upper room and the good feeling of Christ's presence. They needed the promise of the Father. And Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit at least four times that we see recorded. In Luke 24, verse 49, which is actually the prequel to... uh, uh, 
this uh, chapter in the book of Acts gives us a little bit more information and detail of what takes place when Jesus is uh, getting ready to ascend into heaven. But in Luke 24, verse 49, here Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, and what does it mean to tarry? It means to wait. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Wait there. In John chapter 14, now, these, these next three examples are, are taken from a time right before the, the crucifixion, right before Jesus dies on the cross. Three times in John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said to his disciples, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper or comforter, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. And, and this gives us a, a little bit of a hint, you know, and gave His disciples a little hint that the, the very fact that the Holy Spirit was with them, but now He was going to be in them. The promise of the Father. In the next chapter, John 15, verses 26 and 27, once again Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, or when the Comforter comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father... He's making it so clear. He says, Whom I shall send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. And one added thing from the the previous chapter, the Spirit will be in them. And then thirdly, in John 16, verses 7-11, through Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And I want you to kind of keep your finger there, kind of keep a little marker there, because we're going to come back to this way later. But uh, uh, I want you to see what, what he says. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper or the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in Me, of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And just simply here, He's just saying, He says, I have to go away so I can send you the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the Father. And they would need that comforter. They would need that helper. They would need the Holy Spirit. And I just want to let you know, we do too. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Comforter. We need the Helper as the church of Jesus Christ today. We need the power of the Holy Spirit today. But in terms of what Jesus was telling His disciples, first of all, the disciples needed the enlightenment. The enlightenment of the Holy Spirit for certain things. Listen carefully. First of all, they needed the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit For recall and remembrance. For recall and remembrance. The New Testament was yet to be written. And so the many things that the Lord had taught them would have to be remembered and then written under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of the Old Testament. Think about it in these terms. When Moses wrote the first five books of of the Bible, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books... uh, uh, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, when he wrote these, you know, he was actually writing from the very beginning when Moses really wasn't there, was he? He wasn't there when, 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 when the Lord created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he was there much, much, many, many, many years later. Yet, nonetheless, the Lord would inspire him through the Holy Spirit. You know, he, these are God-breathed, uh, written things, and Moses recorded all these things. So it was, it was through the Holy Spirit that we received the law and that we received uh, the, uh, the first five books of the Pentateuch. Uh, in, the same, in the same manner, think about this. Now, I know that they're not as far removed as Moses was from the beginning, but nonetheless, they had to be reminded. I, I, can, I can tell you this, there's some of us here today that we, we can't remember what we ate yesterday. I didn't hear any amends, but I know that... Uh, I, I don't remember. I mean, you know, it's, uh, the thing about it, we don't, remember, we don't remember what we ate a month ago or, you know, three months ago. Surely we don't remember what we ate on this same date a year ago. Of course not. Or what we did even a year ago. Unless it is a significant date in our life. But, but you know, all that aside, we don't remember these things. God will bring to remembrance through His Holy Spirit. And it was necessary for these things so that we might have the full counsel of God as we do today. And we know this because of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where Paul writes, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, and literally, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The disciples and the apostles needed the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit for recall and for remembrance. Secondly, the disciples and the apostles, they needed the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit for relevance. The relevance of the message. The relevance of the message. They weren't to preach the wisdom of man, but the very Word of God. The significance of the Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection to be understood and to be proclaimed. That is the relevance of the message. The message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant to us today because of the power of the Holy Spirit in giving us the complete picture of what Jesus Christ, our Messiah, has come to do for us. As the Apostle Paul once wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That is the relevance of the message. The message that we have is not one that is based upon the wisdom of men. I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm disturbed when, when I see within the, the church or within the, the body of Christ or within Christendom in general, but when, when I see people who are supposed to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming a gospel that, that lends more toward the, uh, the exaltation of man rather than the exaltation of God who is worthy to be praised. And the names of men more important than the name of Jesus Christ, for there is no other name under heaven as important and as great as the name of Jesus Christ. 
That is the name that we will stand upon. That is the name that we will preach. That is the, the Word of God is what we care about. It's not the excellence of speech. Uh, you, you know, you hear me stumble and mumble all the time. So it's not that, is it? It's the Word of God and the relevance of the message. We have relevancy in the message because of the Holy Spirit with us. Thirdly, the apostles and the disciples needed the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit for revealing their movements. Revealing their movements. What do I mean by that? Well, listen to these questions. When were they to go? Where were they to go? Who would be going? They prayed, Lord, where are you going to send me? Where are you going to take me? Lord, I'll go wherever, but let me know. Reveal to me, Lord, where you want me to be. Reveal to me, Lord, where you want me to serve. Reveal to me, Lord, where you want me to take the gospel. I'm so blessed when, when I think of our own missionaries from this church. Who, who, have, who came to us and said, you know, the Lord is just impressing on our hearts to go to certain places in Mexico or wherever it is that they're, they're are, they are serving today. I said, well, make sure. Keep praying, you know, and, and, and we know. We know for sure. And we see them serving now. Why? Because the, the Spirit was just impressing on their hearts, showing them exactly where He would want them to go. No, that's not exclusive to, to missionaries. It's, it's for all of us. Lord, where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? I think of, of the Apostle Paul in Acts, and we're certainly going to come back and, and work uh, on this passage later, but in Acts 16, in verses 6 through 10, they're seeking direction from the Lord. You know, Paul and Silas seeking direction as to where, where they're to go. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia, and the region of Galatea, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an interesting statement? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. It was Paul's desire to go to Asia. Paul said, that's what I mean. We need to take the gospel. We need to take the gospel to Asia. So, you know, so they, they're going kind of that way, and the, and the Holy Spirit forbids them. After that, they had come to Mysia. They, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Let's go this way. You know, the Spirit said, nope, not this way. And by the way, folks, I want you to understand, this isn't because they weren't praying. They were praying. They were praying men. Paul's a praying man. So he wasn't trying to get into some place, but he was trying the door. <laughs> the Spirit didn't permit him. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. By the way, that's Luke writing, so we see when he says we, that it includes him too. So we sought to go. And we concluded that the Lord called us to preach there. God closed certain doors. Isn't that the same way with us? Lord, I want to go this direction. And we go and we test the door. You know, the Spirit is not letting us go. 
because the Spirit is saying, I want you to go this way. So he gets us where he wants us to go eventually. But we have to be ready for that, you see. And so first they needed the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit for those things, and secondly, they needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for two things. Not, not only uh, for two things, but certainly for these two important things. They needed the, power of the, Holy, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for the power to preach. For the power to preach, to make the Lord Jesus Christ real to the people that had been blinded by Satan and enslaved in sin. Think about this, all around them, wherever they went. And remember, they were, they were Jews taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody else was Gentiles and everybody else were, 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 were believing in all kinds of other gods and all kinds of other religions and all kinds of other uh, uh, ways and cultures and, and whatnot. They were taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to these places. They needed to make the Lord Jesus Christ real to the people blinded by Satan and enslaved in sin. And the only way we can do that, and we can do that even now, because we have to face those very same things, people blinded by Satan, people who are enslaved in sin, we have to face all of that too. We can only face it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they needed the power to preach, or the empowerment, so that they might preach in that power. Secondly, they needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for living out the life of Jesus. Living out the life of Jesus. And folks, this is the practical for all of us. Living out the life of Jesus. Because Jesus had given his life for them, now he would give his life to them. Jesus gave his life for them, now he gave his life to them. And they were to live out the life of Christ. The only way we live out the life of Christ is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not just in us, is it? It's not by our power. It's not, it's not uh, you know, to be from us within. It, it's, it's for us to take what God has given to us. That's why the promise of the Father was so important. Thirdly, they needed the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Not only the enlightenment and the empowerment, but the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. How would they be when left alone? Or in prison or beaten and threatened with death? Oh, how how they needed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be encouraged by God's presence. Now, let's go back for just a moment to that that, that scene with with Paul when when he's just wanting to go to Asia and God's not letting him. The Spirit doesn't permit him. The Spirit forbids him to go in that direction, gives him a vision to go to Macedonia. And they said, this is where God wants us to go. So they go to they, they go to Philippi and they're in Philippi. There's this this woman who's a soothsayer and, and and she's you know saying all kinds of stuff and Paul just turns and and and, and rebukes the enemy and, and 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 actually this this woman comes to Christ. Now she's no longer a soothsayer. But see, because she was a soothsayer, she was making money for a lot of people. But now that she wasn't doing that, they were losing money. So they had Paul and Silas arrested and thrown into prison. Now you think, they said, this is where God wants us to go. And all of a sudden, where are they? They're in prison. What's the first thought in your mind if you say, Lord, I want to go this way. I don't want you to go that way. Okay, I'll go this way. Okay, no, I don't want you to go that way. Okay, I'll go this way. Okay, go that way. And you go, and then you get put in prison. You say, Lord, did I, did I hear you right? But that's exactly where God wanted them to go. But this is a great thing because in Acts 16, verse 25, what do we find out about Paul and Silas? What is the great lesson that we get from Paul and Silas about what we should do when we are where God exactly wants us to be? At midnight in that prison, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. They became witnesses in a prison while they were bound. 
And they, are, and they have a captive audience, by the way. They're singing. Well, somebody got it. They're singing. They're singing unto the Lord in the midst of their trials. Can we do that? Can't can, can we just do that because we have the Spirit with us? That no matter what we face, no matter what trials we have before us, no matter what, is, what, what, what wind of wickedness or evil is blowing against us, we can stand and we can sing praises unto our God because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Either we will stand there and worry and wonder, oh God, oh God, oh God, and, and, and really, we're not really praying to Him, we're just saying, oh God, oh God, or else we're going to say, oh God, You are my strength in this time. You're my power in this time. My flesh may be confused, but my heart stands, stands with You. I'll go where You want me to go. I'll do what You want me to do, and I can only do it by Your Spirit. So this leads us then to the power of the Holy Spirit revealed in what we find in verses 6 through 8 and in particular verse verse 8 but with verses 6 and 7 you know will kind of apply to the prophecy aspect in, in just a moment but let's begin at reading there in verse 6 it says therefore when they had come together they asked Jesus saying Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel and he said to them it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority and we talked about this last week by the way but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There are those two words again that we focused upon a little bit last time. The word dunamis and the word martus. The word dunamis for the word power and the word martus for the word witnesses. Our focus, of course, will be here on verse 8, since this is what is revealed by Jesus to His disciples about the promise of the Father. The fact that the power of the church would come from the Holy Spirit and not from man. The power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of man, is the power of the church. The power of the church is the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4, verse 6 says, he, he answered to me and said to me, I'm sorry, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by the power of man, not by the might of man, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's where true power lies. And not only is that where the true power lies, that, where, that, that is where mighty power lies. Man thinks that he has some sense of power, and to some extent, secularly, he does. Man can have great power over man. Man has exhibited that power in many different ways, whether militarily or financially or otherwise. But there's a power that supersedes all of that, the power of the Holy Spirit, because it is God's power. It is not man's power. And it is a church that has received the power of God for the witness that we are to be. And this was the absolute necessity for the church. It was the absolute necessity for the church in that first century. It is absolute necessity for the church in the 21st century. The power of the Holy Spirit of God. The ministry of God's Holy Spirit. With every new opportunity, there would be obstacles as well. And because of this, there would be repeated fillings of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. 
God is just pouring forth as, as the prophecy of Joel, as we'll see in, in, in Acts chapter 2, as Peter takes that. Uh, we can expand on it later. But the, but the fact is that the power of the Holy Spirit is pouring out, and you know what? God's not running out. He wants us to have that power now, and He wants us to have it to the fullest because of what we face as believers in Jesus Christ in a world, in a land where, where, where there's just total unbelief. The obstacles are going to be there. What do we need? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be continually being filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The emphasis here though is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Two chapters later in Acts chapter 4 verse 8, it tells us that Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. This just continual filling of the Spirit upon God's people. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, and he goes on and, and preaches that, that, that uh, great sermon there in Acts chapter 4. Later on in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says that when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was, was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness, and so many of who had already been filled in chapter 2 were being filled again in chapter 4. We'll talk about that when we get to those chapters. In Acts chapter 9, verse 17, when Paul comes onto the scene, as uh, we meet him first of all, of course, as uh, a man named Saul. But uh, here in verse 17 it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, uh, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, he is to be filled with the Spirit. But then in Acts 13, much later on in Acts 13, verse 9, it says, Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the implication is they was being filled and continually being filled, even at that point, looked intently at him. It is this continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Why? For ordinary people. I, I would have to say that as you, I look around here and as you look up here, we're just a bunch of ordinary people. We're just ordinary people. But for ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God, we need the Spirit of God at work in our lives. The early church needed the Spirit of God at work in their lives. We today need the Spirit of God at work in our lives. And I'm saddened when I think of how many people say they believe in the triune God, in other words, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but yet we, we, we don't place enough emphasis in the proper way upon the Holy Spirit who is the power that God wants to give us and He has given us, has poured out and is pouring out. I know that there are those who, who sometimes overemphasize the Holy Spirit beyond everything else. That's, that's on the other extreme. But our balance is in one God in three persons and all three working in concert, working together. But the power for us is in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is in the same verse that the disciples are given the program. I'm speaking of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It is in this same verse that the disciples are given their program and their mission. To be Christ's witnesses in their hometown, in Jerusalem. To be Christ's witnesses in, in their surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria. And then to be Christ's witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the word witness, by the way, is a key word in the book of Acts because it is used 21 or 29 times as either a verb or a noun. In other words, you are a witness and you are to witness. So you're, you're a, you can be used as a noun and a verb, as it were. 
But a witness is simply a person who tells what he or she has seen or heard. That is what a witness is. Now look at the life of John, John who did see Jesus and John who was with Jesus when he writes that wonderful uh, first epistle. uh, This is what he says in 1 John 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, in other words, touched, concerning the word of life who is Jesus. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and, the, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. We are being witnesses. John was just being a witness and he was declaring that witness to us. What he saw, what he heard, what he touched. And I want to say to you that we can have that very same witness. Back in Acts chapter 4, well, I say back in Acts. I mentioned Acts 4 earlier, forward, and we get there. Acts chapter 4, situation is that the, uh, Peter, James, and John, they were going to, actually started in chapter 3, but they, they were going into the temple to, you know, to pray, and, and there was a man that was uh, uh, an invalid, and he was out you know, begging alms and and Peter stops and under the power of the Holy Spirit he says to him, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And this man stands up and every bone in his body gets straightened out and all of a sudden he's able to walk. And he not only walks, but we're told that he's walking and leaping and praising God. And he goes off and he becomes now a witness for the power of, of, of God in, in the name of Christ. And, and because of all of this, and Peter, James, and John are taken in, you know, before the authorities and all. And so they're, they're kind of uh, uh, roughed up a little bit and all. But, but this is what Peter and John say to, to their captors. You know, they, in verse 19 of Acts 4, it says, Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. This is eyewitness testimony of the power of God. They are being the witnesses that Christ had called them to be. The Lord always wanted His own people to be His witnesses. In other words, Israel. He called Israel to be His witnesses. In Isaiah 44, God called Israel to quit being afraid. He says in verse 8, Do not be afraid, or do not fear, nor be afraid. I have not told you, or have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Go back to Isaiah 43. Realize he called them that even before. He says, you're my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. There's not another God. Be my witnesses. I'm your God. There's only one God. And you're to be a witness of that one God. And as a whole, the nation of Israel failed to give forth the witness that the Lord really wanted. But as Christians, we need not be afraid, nor fall or fail. We need not fail. Why? Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is available today as an empowering experience. It wasn't available only in the time of the apostles. It is available for us today. 
To be able to be the witnesses that, that Christ has called us as His disciples to be. He said, you shall receive dunamis. You shall receive power, mighty power, to be witnesses, martus, for Jesus Christ. That's where the power lies. Folks, we can read books about evangelism, and we, we, we sh- probably should read some things and kind of help us out. Uh, but, but just reading about it doesn't make us a witness. What has Jesus Christ done for you? Has He not taken you from one stage of life to another and, 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 and in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye? Once we were lost, but now we are found. Once we were blind, but now we see. Don't we testify to that? As believers in Jesus Christ? Then we can only testify of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a simple little proverb, Proverbs 14, verse 25, that says, A true witness... A true witness delivers souls. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. But a true witness delivers souls. Why? Because we can only testify of what we've seen and heard. And it's affected us because we're no longer the people we were. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. To the to, uh, Corinthian church, he, he says, you're new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away. 2 Corinthians 5.17 The old has passed away. All things have become new. Then I want you to think. I want you to think of where God wanted witnesses. Think of where God was sending them. Think of where God wanted them to be His witnesses, His martus. In Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified at the word of an angry mob. In Jerusalem, where they were recognized. They knew who the disciples were. In a very angry city. They were to be witnesses in Judea, where Jesus' ministry was rejected. They were to be witnesses in Samaria, a wasteland made up of impure and polluted half-breeds. This is what was on the Jewish mindset. In Samaria? Just a bunch of weird half-breeds, you know. God says, go. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth where the Gentiles were seen as nothing better than fuel for the the fires of hell? Because that again was the Jewish mindset. Those are the places where God wants His witnesses. And it's no different for us today. We're surrounded by a barbaric world. Oh, we're a little bit more sophisticated, but we're we're still surrounded by a barbaric world. We're surrounded by a very secular world. A world that in and of itself just does not want to hear anything about God materialistic world. But that's where we are. And that's where we are to be witnesses. We can only do it filled with the Holy Spirit. With the dunamis power of God's Spirit.
Lastly, the prophecy of the Son's return, beginning at verse 9, which we hadn't covered last week. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. For Jesus ascending into heaven and having the two men in white apparel question the disciples about gazing at him, not only assures us of his soon and future return, but it also reminds us that if he hadn't returned to the Father, he could not have sent the promise of the Father, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned in John 16, verse 7. If I do not go away, it's to no advantage to you. It is also important to remember that our Savior is in heaven now, right now, interceding on our behalf as our great high priest, granting us the grace that we need for life and service. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, here the apostle says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come confidently to the throne of grace, because Christ is before the Father. I don't know about you, but I need God's mercy and God's grace today. Don't you? I mean, we need it. And it's available. And we can come. And we can receive it. Because of Jesus being where He is. But He's also our advocate. He's our advocate before our Father's throne forgiving us, uh, for, uh, forgiving us when we confess our sins. He forgives us. What a promise He's given us. In 1 John 1, verses 9 and 10, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. But my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the Righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation. In other words, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So here is our advocate, where He's supposed to be for us. But He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you helpless. I will not leave you as orphans. I am sending you the promise of the Father, my Spirit, my Holy Spirit. He will be with you. And He will not only be with you, but He will come upon you. And He will not only be with you and come upon you, He will be in you. And so, what of this prophetic thought? It's a very simple thought. Those two messengers that actually came from heaven to tell His disciples and us that Jesus was going to heaven, but that He would be doing what? Coming back. These two messengers gave the believers assurance that the Lord Jesus would come again just as He had been taken from them. The first coming 
was over. The second coming now, their goal. And in the meantime, their lives were to be given to faithful service unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, people today, and I mentioned this in our prophetic updates a few weeks ago, a lot of people today, you know, they believed in the first coming, but, uh, you know, for them, the second coming is kind of a foggy thing, you know. Some will even say, no, that was just, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was just symbolism. You know, we, we, just, we just need to be good people and we just need to... No, no, no. Jesus promised, you know, the, the, the promises of Jesus' first coming, over 300 promises, all fulfilled. His coming, the first time, should assure us that when He said, I'm coming again, He's going to come the same way. And what was it that they said? As you see Him go, He's going to come again. In the very same manner. In other words, this isn't symbolism. This isn't nice stories. He's coming again. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready. What, we, what are we doing while we're being ready? We are serving. We are doing. We are building the kingdom of God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to close with these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. Where Jesus said, Let your ways be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks they may open to him immediately. <clears throat> Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Jesus is going to come to serve us, his bride. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about the day, the hour. That's in the Father's hands. It's in the Father's authority. But you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And by the way, I, just, I, I don't want to skip this thought that when he mentioned baptized, when he mentioned that uh, they would be baptized. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What he was saying to them was this. You're, you were immersed. The word baptism or, or baptized in the Greek, is, 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 baptizo, is, is, is a word that means to be completely immersed. In other words, not sprinkled, but completely immersed. The, the very root word is the word bapto, which, which means to be saturated, to be completely uh, immersed and then saturated in what you're immersed in. So here's another great picture that Jesus is giving them of their baptism in the Holy Spirit. They are to be immersed in the Holy Spirit and saturated with the Holy Spirit. Not only is He with us and upon us, but He is in us. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we move on. There's going to be a lot of things we're going to learn. But the important thing is we need to be ready because Jesus is coming. He's coming. Let's pray.